0: The bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here with us in this place this morning. We trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. Well, I have bad news for you this morning. The parable that Jesus tells us, means exactly what it seems to mean. And it seems to be a simple enough story, doesn't it? It's about bridesmaids who aren't prepared and who are therefore denied entry into the wedding feast. The groom says this awful thing to them as they knock on the door, imploring to be let in. Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. And then we get Jesus' admonishing words. Keep awake, therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour." Now I've never heard a more obvious plug for the Boy Scouts. Have you? Remember the motto, right? Be prepared. I was a Boy Scout for a while until I realized that none of the cool kids were Boy Scouts. As soon as I figured out that it wasn't cool to be in the Boy Scouts, I quit. You know, to try to jumpstart my social life. Of course, it turned out that the Boy Scouts weren't my problem. It had more to do with the glasses and the braces and the paralyzing shyness. I was a real Casanova, as you can imagine. But this should be the official Boy Scout parable, shouldn't it? Don't be foolish. Be prepared. And we can Christianize this very easily. Christians talk about being prepared, too. And when a Christian says, be prepared, he or she basically usually means, be good, right? Right? Get your affairs, your life, in order. So that when Jesus comes back, you're ready. Fix yourself up. So that when Jesus arrives, he looks at you and is pleased to invite you into his party. And this kind of story is very appealing to us. It makes sense. The bridesmaids who are prepared get rewarded. The bridesmaids who are unprepared get punished. Very simple. Moral of the story, be prepared. Translated into Christianese, do the things that God has asked you to do. Stay on the path that he has prepared for you. Keep everything in order. But, and remember, I said this parable means exactly what it seems to mean. If that's the message, be prepared, then, well, that's not good news. and its endorsement of good christians and its seeming denouncement of everyone else it seems to leave me out this parable is a problem for me you know the bridesmaids who thought ahead to bring the extra oil they're the wise men (laughs) the wise men (laughs) they're the wise ones the good ones the prepared ones they're the ones who would have remembered to set up an extra microphone for the reader this morning They're the ones who would have remembered to bring all the extra stuff that we needed. They get into the party, right? You know who these people are in your lives. They're the kids who know all the words to the Nicene Creed. Or for us more accurately, they're the parents of the kids who know all the words to the Nicene Creed. They're the woman in your Bible study who always asks the deep questions. The man who says he needs to pray about an important decision and then actually does it. The pastor at the clergy gathering with the really spirit filled and theologically deep prayer. You know, all the people we hate. (laughs) Okay. We don't hate them. We look up to them, right? We admire them. We just hate them underneath the surface. These people. The ones who seem to have it all together in their Christian lives are a problem for us because they, by their apparent righteousness, are making it obvious that we are the foolish bridesmaids. Their seeming goodness serves to highlight our badness. Now, we know the gospel We know, at least in theory, that no one is saved by their works or, therefore, by their well-preparedness and their jars full of oil. That it is only the finished work of Christ that gets us into any and all wedding feasts. We know this. But this parable, disturbingly, seems to only be on the side of the quote-unquote good Christians, the good workers, the ones who deserve it, It's only on the side of the competent Bible readers, the successful quiet time havers, the tireless prayer warriors. They're the ones who get into the party. But what about me? What about us? What about us foolish bridesmaids? Is there any good news for us? Well, I'll tell you what, though that is what this parable is saying, and I told you it was bad news, it's not the whole story. The story of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ does not end here, with the foolish bridesmaids locked out in the cold. It may end here for them, but I don't imagine that it had to. There can be, and I think that there is, in fact, a promise for us that there is more to this story than a locked door. This parable is about more than Christians asking themselves, how can I make sure that I always have enough oil? This parable is also about a more pertinent question for us. What do I do? when I realize my lamp is empty. The action of this parable really kicks off when the bridegroom starts to return, right? At midnight, when the announcement goes out, the wise bridesmaids get everything ready. They trim their lamps and the foolish bridesmaids are scatterbrained. They, they run out to the market to try to get some oil. Now let's say, just for the sake of argument this morning, wink, wink, that this story is actually about you and Jesus. Let's imagine that someone came running into this church right now, shouting this midnight announcement that Jesus is coming back right now, and you actually found that you believed it. Would you feel like a foolish bridesmaid or a wise one? Would you feel... Ready. Well, speak for yourself, but I would be freaking out. I am a foolish bridesmaid through and through. The thoughts that would run through my mind are not thoughts of joy at the coming of my Lord, but thoughts of panic at my unpreparedness. Oh no, I would think. I haven't had time to reconcile that relationship. Not now, I would think. I'm still a failure at the office and a poor provider for my family. Can I have some more time, I might ask, to memorize the Psalms? I'm not nearly sanctified enough, not yet. It's like Tennessee Ernie Ford said, right? You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt, St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Jesus, don't come back now. I'm not ready yet. I still owe my soul to the company store. When the foolish bridesmaids hear that the bridegroom is coming, they freak out. They don't feel ready and they go and try to make everything okay. Now, to illustrate this desperation that these foolish bridesmaids have, I'm going to use pretty much my favorite illustration ever. If you sit under my preaching for any length of time, you're going to hear this, you probably have heard this, you're probably going to hear it more than once. I'm going to read you a little section of Tom Wolfe's amazing book, The Right Stuff, a book which tells the story of the American space program, which started out, as an outgrowth of the Air Force test pilot program at Edwards Air Force Base in the deserts of California in the early 1950s. These pilots would test brand new planes to see if they work. And some of them worked well, and some of them didn't. And for a frame of reference and for context for what I'm gonna read to you, in 1952 alone, 62 Air Force pilots were killed, in 36 weeks of testing. 62 pilots killed in 36 weeks of testing. So here we go from Tom Wolfe's The Right Stuff. Quote In those planes, which were like chimneys with little razor blade wings on them, you had to be afraid to panic. And that phrase was no joke. In the skids, the tumbles, the spins, there was truly only one thing you could let yourself think about. What do I do next? Sometimes at Edwards, they used to play the tapes of pilots going into the final dive, the one that killed them. And the man would be tumbling, going end over end in a 15-ton length of pipe with all the aerodynamics long gone and not one prayer left And he knew it. And he would be screaming into the microphone. But not for mother or for God or for the nameless spirit of Ahor, but for one last hopeless crumb of information. I've tried A. I've tried B. I've tried C. I've tried D. Tell me what else I can try. And then that truly spooky click on the machine And everybody around the table would look at one another and nod ever so slightly. And the unspoken message was, too bad. There was a man with the right stuff. This is the foolish bridesmaids. This is us. I've tried A. I've tried B. I've tried C. I've tried D. Tell me what else I can try. Where can I find some oil? What else can I do to be the kind of person who is worthy of entry into this wedding feast? And just like those early test pilots at Edwards Air Force Base, we're screaming into the microphone right up until we plow into the ground. We miss the bridegroom's arrival completely because we were out. Trying to get more oil. We had our heads buried in the control panel, trying to figure out one more thing in an attempt to save ourselves. The other pilots thought it was a sign of the right stuff that the dying pilot never cried out to God. But make no mistake, that's the wrong stuff. That kind of stuff only ever ends with you as a smoking crater in the ground. Self-salvation projects like this always end in death. Like those foolish bridesmaids locked out in the cold. So here's the bad news. We are the unprepared bridesmaids rushing out to try to make everything right as the bridegroom approaches. We are the test pilots, screaming into the microphone, desperately begging for one more idea, one more thing to try. And this really is the essence of so much of our lives. Christian or not, this is how so many of us live our lives. Pressure comes from somewhere, something, and we freak out and try whatever we can. To make it right. We try to save ourselves. And that tendency toward self-salvation, that need we find in ourselves to make things right, is what Jesus is talking about in this parable. I don't think it's finally about the forethought of the wise bridesmaids, or even the unpreparedness of the foolish ones. I think for us sinners, what this parable is about is what to do when we get caught out. When we are unprepared and the moment comes. When that test pilot is plummeting back to earth, he should absolutely be calling out to God. What if when the bridegroom arrived, The foolish bridesmaids had simply said, Master, we love you, and we waited for you, and we were stupid. We are unprepared. We're foolish, and we're sorry. This bridegroom, our bridegroom, Jesus Christ the righteous, has a ready answer for that. He said it to the thief on the cross. And it is good news for each one of us. Truly, I tell you, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, I forgive you. Come in to my banquet. So instead of crying out, I've tried A, I've tried B, I've tried C, I've tried D. Tell me what else I can try we cry out, echoing that thief, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And like that, we are in. But when the bridegroom arrives, these foolish bridesmaids aren't even there. And that is their true foolishness. They didn't trust in the goodness of the bridegroom. They're so worried about their unpreparedness and so busy trying to save themselves that they missed his coming entirely. So at the end of the day, there are two ways to get into this wedding feast, I think. To be there, prepared and waiting when the bridegroom arrives. Every hair in its proper place and your wick properly trimmed in a jar full of oil in reserve. That's one way. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. That'll work. But you have to do it perfectly. Without spot or blemish. That's one way. But that is a way too glorious for us sinners. Thanks be to God, there is another way in To be there and to confess, to repent, to throw yourself on the mercy of the one, Jesus Christ, who has promised to always have mercy. So really, for us sinners, there is only one way. For us sinners, there is only Jesus. So when God comes, either at the end of days or in spirit in your heart as you hear my words now or as you approach the communion table in a few minutes or as you pray before closing your eyes in your bed tonight, when you feel God arriving, you'll want to freak out. You'll feel unprepared. Foolish. But don't worry about making things right. That's Jesus' job. And there is good news. Jesus has accomplished his work, he has done his job. All you do is confess I am a foolish bridesmaid and repent. Reaffirm your faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. Feast on Christ's body and blood broken and shed for you. Ask your Savior to remind you of what he has already accomplished. And he'll say what he always says. What he said on the cross 2,000 years ago. What he said before the foundation of the world. It is finished. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And today, you are. Amen.